the agency made a pretty significant mistake, and we're hearing they've known about this since February, and now they're putting this letter out to all these people saying they want them to fix the mistake that the state made. Uh, we've had freeway shootings on the south field in 96 at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and didn't get one tip about a license plate. So until the society actually gets tired of this itself, um, we're just going to be cleaning up afterwards. Well, maybe somebody who has thousands and thousands of image of, images of child pornography, child sexual abusive material, that was what was in his trash. You're listening to Pod Suey, the week's top stories served a la carte. Subscribe at thegreatvoice.com or wherever you get your podcasts. The Department of Justice released a 119-page paper detailing the multiple failures in the FBI's investigation of former U.S. gymnastics and MSU doctor Larry Nasser. The report claims that agents in the Indianapolis field office did not respond to or investigate reports of sexual abuse by Dr. Nasser properly and even claim an FBI agent in Indianapolis who was assigned to look into the claims was trying to get a job with the Olympic Committee. Former U.S. Attorney for Michigan's Eastern District, Matthew Schneider, was one of the first to investigate Nasser here in Michigan, and he joined Kevin Dietz. We're all familiar with the horrible and tragic abuse that Larry Nasser inflicted upon the, the women and young girls that he was with. We all know that, and we know that because of the survivors who came forward and talked. But what the public hasn't known until now is how the FBI reacted to this case when it first came to their attention back in 2015. So what came out yesterday was a report of the Justice Department's Inspector General, and the Inspector General did a review of the FBI's involvement. And that report's conclusions really are deeply disturbing, because what it says is that USA Gymnastics had reported this abuse to the FBI in Indianapolis. And what would we expect? We would expect that the FBI would take that seriously in Indianapolis. If they would have taken it seriously, they would have contacted the Michigan FBI, but they didn't do that. And if they would have taken it seriously, they would have contacted the state and local law enforcement partners because this was a, an allegation of sexual abuse. And that didn't happen either. So as a result, Nasser kept abusing these gymnasts, approximately seven, 70 of them. And it didn't have to happen that way, and it shouldn't. It's a total failure, and, and it's really embarrassing and tragic. Yeah, you, there's just no way you can put this on the people reporting the crimes as reporting them to the wrong agency or something like that. This, If the FBI, who is the top law enforcement agency in the country, uh, gets information as uh, sad and sick as this information was, they they need to get the information to the right people, not not rely on the people making the complaint to do that. Well, that's right. And just compare this, Kevin, to what we did in Michigan. I was the first prosecutor in the state attorney general's office assigned to the Larry Nasser case. So back in August of 2016, Michigan State University received a complaint about Nasser from a woman who said she had been abused by him. And I remember this like it was yesterday. I went immediately over to MSU. I met with the chief of police, Jim Dunlop, and his team. And we looked, and we looked into this case. Within one day, Nasser was suspended. And then... We soon gathered evidence, very soon executed a search warrant on Nasser's home. And during that search warrant, the FBI agents executing the warrant actually pulled his trash. And in his trash, they found his computer hard drives, which he had thrown away. Who does that? 
well, maybe somebody who has thousands and thousands of image of, images of child pornography, child sexual abusive material, that was what was in his trash. So I can tell you that at Michigan State Police, we work very cooperatively, very fast with the FBI, uh, with all of our partners. And this was over a year after the Indianapolis FBI had gotten this information. It, sh- it shouldn't have happened that way. The Senate has announced it will hold an oversight hearing into the FBI's botched investigation. At the end of June, nearly 700,000 Michigan unemployment recipients received a letter instructing them to resubmit paperwork to find out if they had to pay back their unemployment money because the Michigan Unemployment Insurance Agency allowed them to collect federal jobless benefits for unapproved reasons during the pandemic. State Rep. Steve Johnson, chair of the Oversight Committee, is spearheading an investigation into these claims. What kind of screw-ups led to this, and how long did the UIA know about it? He talked to Guy Gordon. The agency made a pretty significant mistake, and we're hearing they've known about this since February. And now they're putting this letter out to all these people saying they want them to fix the mistake that the state made. It makes no sense. Nowhere else would this ever happen except state government. Okay, so when I hear that, that they knew about it in February, and they allowed these hapless Michiganders to continue to draw benefits that they weren't qualified for, that is either malfeasance or it's a cover-up. You've been very careful not to use those words, I think. I'm going to use them. It sounds like they've been covering it up for six months. You know, I think they're hoping somehow it would go away. I think they're hoping maybe the federal government would come in and change things on them, and it didn't happen. Instead, the feds came in and said, no, you guys were not doing things correctly. You had the wrong set of requirements, and you need to fix that. I, I don't know what's going on at the agency. We thought maybe Steve Gray was the problem. He left back in November. Uh, we thought maybe you'd see some changes with different leadership. No, it's still the same story all over again. Uh, so, yeah, no, our committee is going to we're going to have some hearings. We're going to continue the investigation. There has to be some accountability here. And, it, you know, it's not just this issue. We also have tons of accounts of fraud. I think last week in the Detroit News, uh, we heard of more people within the agency that were committing fraud. Uh, it's just astounding the number of problems that we see with just one agency. And it's by far the worst one out there. Why does that continue to happen? We need to figure out why. So I've got to tell you, I mean, I, I, I've got to give you credit. You have had the, the interim director before you before. I've watched those hearings. You've asked some very pointed questions of her in terms of mismanagement and competence, things that she was brought into correct. How will this investigation take this any further than what you've already been doing? Yeah, you know, I think the first time it was very revealing. Uh, when we talked to the acting director at the time, you know, at the time we had so many issues with unemployment agency with people that were trying to get benefits that they were entitled to and they couldn't. And we knew the problem. Everyone's office could see it was a problem. We asked, you know, how often are you in communication with the governor? And she said it had been over a month, uh, which is shocking that the governor's not involved in an agency that's having all these problems. You'd think that if I was governor, I would want to make sure my most uh, problematic agency I'm trying to get better. And they showed that they had some problems there. And so I think we're going to try to get the director back in, see what what are they doing to change things, what's going on there. Mm-hmm. And maybe we have to have a talk about leadership changes. You know, the defense up until now has been that the you know the agency obviously was blindsided by the sheer volume of 
of applications for unemployment that came in. They had to hire a lot of people. Many were inexperienced. They had to train them on the fly. Obviously, some of them have, should have had criminal background checks because we, we let a couple fraudsters in there. Do, do those defenses wash anymore? You know, I think I would have accepted that in the early months, but we're a year and a half from when this first started. I, I don't buy those anymore. And furthermore, this latest issue about asking people now fill out paperwork again and possibly to repay the state for the state's mistake. This is something they've known about since February. We had a whistleblower within the agency reach out to us and tell us about this, saying this was going to happen. Unfortunately, we couldn't do anything because he was afraid to come out publicly uh, for fear of retribution. So they, huh. But he was, telling, he was telling the agency, hey, this is a problem, you need to fix this, and they refused to do that. So there is no excuse at this point. If you knew about it and you tried to hide it, There is no excuse I'm going to accept. A rash of road raid-related freeway shootings all over the area from the east side to the heart of the city to the west side in broad daylight and even spilling out into the suburbs have put Metro Detroiters on high alert. Lieutenant Mike Shaw from the Michigan State Police joined Chris Renwick to voice his frustrations and to relay a message to drivers that he hopes will cut down on these types of incidents. Let it go. I mean, I don't know if we need to have people start watching Frozen again to, you know, learn how to just let it go. Uh, I, I don't know what the, you know, I, I, it's kind of hard. I, I can't put a trooper into every back seat of everybody's car to give them a little slap in the back of the head and say, don't be stupid. Um, I don't, I don't know what the answer is. You know, I, I think sometimes people are, we all want to blame everything on the pandemic and, you know, that's fine to a point. Um, I think it's a little bit of that. I think it's a little bit of the social media, you know, mentality of you can say whatever you want or do whatever you want, and nobody's going to punch you in the nose for it anymore because you're behind your keyboard. Uh, I think it's a little bit of the anti-law enforcement mentality where people are thinking, well, the cops aren't going to do anything anyways because they're picked up on all the time, so we're just going to do whatever we want. Uh, it's a it's a whole bunch of things, but. Uh, sooner or later, you know, people are going to hopefully get tired of this. I, we've had two children that have been killed during road rage type incidences. One, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, the other one, a mistaken identity. And, you know, we held a vigil and, you know, the next day we we're talking about the rocket mortgage classic. Like it just didn't happen. So until mm-hmm. society kind of decides that they've had enough of this, um, we're going to be more of just following up after the fact. I think it's interesting in these freeway shootings, and I know I'm kind of rambling on here for a minute, but, you know, it's kind of frustrating for all of us. Uh, We've had freeway shootings on the south field in 96 at 3 o'clock in the afternoon and didn't get one tip about a license plate. Uh, Here on M14, you know, they're right in the middle of rush hour. uh, Supposedly nobody saw a thing. So until the society actually gets tired of this itself, um, we're just going to be cleaning up afterwards. You might not peg Nolan Finley of the Detroit News as a marijuana advocate, but his July 10th column titled Ease Drug Testing to Boost Hiring makes the case for Michigan employers to treat recreational marijuana use the same as recreational drinking by dropping mandatory drug tests for new hires. Finley laid out his case on the Paul W. Smith Show, and he shares a story about the good old days of drinking and journalism. It's hypocritical, and it's not fair. Uh, We've got to finally accept the fact that this is a legal product. And that people who use it on their own time uh, in, in the ways they choose to use it should not be treated differently than people who use alcohol recreationally. I mean, you and I both have recreational drinks. 
uh, doesn't mean that when we come to work, we're impaired. And I think the same uh, can be said for many people who use marijuana on their on the weekend or on their own time or on off hours. Uh, they should not be banned from the workplace. They should not be excluded from the job market. Well, right now, the job market is so tough. Um, yeah. I'm thinking that uh, that employers, as long as somebody doesn't come to work high or drunk, that uh, they have a better chance of getting uh, a job. People in the in the I need people to work for me market are not looking for excuses not to be able to hire them. Well, except that we've got half the employers, a little over half the employers, still require drug tests. And if you require a drug test and a drug test comes back positive, you're almost locked into excluding that can- that candidate. And I agree with you. It's a tight market. We shouldn't be shrinking the labor pool. We shouldn't be shrinking it by uh, not taking a good look at returning citizens, people who are getting out of prison or who have uh, felony records and have uh, restored their lives. We should be giving those people a chance. Uh, we should be looking at uh, other requirements. I mean, uh, does every job have to have uh, a degree, a di- diploma, or whatever? Do, is, you know, the goal should be getting people to work, filling these positions, and restarting the economy. In, you know, all the years you've been a boss, Nolan Findlay, Detroit News editorial page editor, over the years, you must have seen people who've come into work who maybe came into work after drinking, maybe were still a little drunk from the the hours before or whatever. It, it's it's It seems to me it's pretty obvious when somebody's under the influence of uh, booze or alcohol. Yeah. Uh, is it mm-hmm. the same with somebody under the influence of uh, marijuana? Have you ever seen somebody that you've said to yourself, Geez, I think that guy's or that gal's high coming into work. Of course, but it's been rare. And, you know, um, I, I can remember as a young reporter, the first time somebody got fired for being drunk on the job, we all looked at, you, at each other and said, you can get fired for that? <laughs> there, but for the grace of God, go I. <laughs> it's, a different, uh, it's a different era now, but... Uh, it's yeah, true I mean, that I in think... the uh, since you just brought that up, it is so true that in the old days, reporters were almost it almost seemed like a requirement to be hard drinking, hard smoking reporters. That's long gone. It is. I remember stories about the old uh, Detroit Times and a, an editor there and a former editor there told me once that you know he'd walk in the door and there was a grassy area in front of the building and. He'd stop and and shake his reporters, pick up his reporters uh, uh, from amongst the winos who were laying out on the grass. It's hard to tell one from the other. (laughs) That'll do it for Pod Suey this week. For full interviews or anything else you might have missed, visit thegreatvoice.com. See you next time.